0: I'll ask you to do something that makes you do two things at once, but I want to have you stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to pray this morning. How many people, you were actually here last Sunday? I'm just curious, how many were here last Sunday? I'm actually going to move outside of my series on Proverbs because I, I actually officiated at a wedding here about less than two weeks ago, and it was on a Saturday. And what I did was I decided, you know what, I'm going to speak on some of the things I mentioned at this wedding. So some of the ideas, uh, if you were there, you'll pick up on it, but I've I've redeveloped it. So I just felt in my spirit, this is something we all need. How many here want to have a healthy relationship? with Just anybody, healthy relationships. So this doesn't just apply to marriages. It doesn't just apply to families. It applies in relationships. I'm gonna give you, I think, is one of the great keys to having healthy, meaningful, significant relationships. And uh, I think our culture's struggling in relationships right now. People are having a hard time. So you're gonna gain a lot today. This is gonna help you, I believe. So I'm praying that God will really work in our lives and it will transform our families. Don't you think that's a good prayer? Yeah, it's beautiful. So let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here today. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for our guests that are with us. We just so feel privileged to have their presence with us, Father. You're with us. And I pray today as I'm sharing your word that it won't be my words, it'll be your words. And that you'll speak into our innermost being. And I pray, Father, for the areas of brokenness or uh, we're just going to focus on things like trust and uh, submission to you and to others, Lord. I just pray that we will gain insight and keys to building healthy, meaningful Marriages, families, and healthy relationships. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name and God's people said. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5. I read a very moving account of a, of a man by the name of John Gibson Patton who was born in a Christian home in Dumfries, Scotland in 1824. I just want to point out 1824. 1824. You don't have to remember that date, but you know it's a ways away from, we're almost 200, uh, yeah, 200 years ago. From an early age, he had a very special awareness of a closet in the three-room cottage that he and his nine other siblings lived with his mom and dad. It's back in the day when we had big families and small dwellings, right? Today we have small families and big dwellings, you know, it's just the exact opposite, But he said there was a very special room, and this is how he describes it, the closet. There was a closet in this three-room cottage, the sanctuary of that cottage home. Every day and many times in a day, we saw our father retire, shut the door, and we children, we came to understand by a sort of spiritual instinct that prayers were being poured out there for us. Later, sensing God's call, John you know, left to train at a seminary in Glasgow, and when it was time to leave, his father walked to them for the first six miles, back to a time a lot simpler, a lot poorer. And while they were walking, he could see the tears coming from his dad, the counsel his dad was giving him, the prayers, and for the last half a mile or so, he said, we walked in unbroken silence. And on reaching that appointed point, when we were to part, he solemnly and affectionately grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence, and he said, "God bless you, my son. Your father's God will prosper you and keep you from all evil." And unable to say more, though his lips kept moving in silent prayer and tears, we embraced and parted. He said, "I was so overwhelmed by emotion that I found myself moving to the side of the road kneeling down and weeping. He said, I arose and I watched with blinding tears the fading form of my father as he hastened on his way, vowing deeply in my heart never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as God had given me. What a tremendous privilege to grow up in a home like that. You see, Patton went on and became a missionary in the New Hebrides, and his heritage was so powerful. His father and he that for three generations until 1970, their family served as missionaries in the New Hebrides. Isn't that an amazing story? The power of a godly life, the influence of a godly life, not only on ourselves and our immediate children, but on our descendants. A heritage that was formed by this amazing habit. As we're going to listen to this message today, some of us are going to feel like, well, you know, maybe I blew it. And maybe you didn't do all the right things, but I'm going to say something right now. The good news of the gospel is such that God can redeem what the years the enemy has destroyed. God, if we say, God, I want to do the right thing from this point on, it will be amazing what God will start to do in your life and in your relationships. You know, healthy families are the ones where parents learn first to submit to God and every member learns to submit to one another. That is a key word. It's a word we don't even talk about today. This is a culture totally enamored with our rights and our privileges. That's why I've, you know, when we're gonna look back, if if Jesus tarries, they're gonna look back at this generation and and weep over how self-centered we have been as a generation. I'm not talking about you personally, but as a generation. It's all been about us, and we have not really sowed to the right things. And so we're reaping a lot of negative things at this point in time. This attitude of mutual submission is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. This is a fruit or the result of God's Spirit at work in our lives, to, to give up our rights, to lay down our rights because of something greater. That takes a change in our thinking. You know, a lot of times in our culture today, we think that, you know, the best way to deal with problems is that we can just, you know, take people to court and exert our rights or vote out somebody, but I'm going to tell you the problems in our country are not going to be solved strictly by political answers. They're going to be solved by spiritual work of God's, uh, God's spirit at work in the hearts of people because that's what transforms our thinking. Because until God works inside of you, you're not going to change your mind about a lot of things. But when the Spirit of God starts working, change starts happening inside. Our attitude starts changing. One of the fruits or the result of the Spirit is actually a life of submission. So how many realize that uh, that insecure people have to have their own way? How many know that? Insecure, selfish people have to have their own way. They just demand it. And that, you know, people that behave like that are just revealing the true condition of their soul. People who are secure in their relationship with God and are not putting their trust in their own abilities, either control others or control themselves, then they're at peace. They don't have to do those things. They're secure. You know, they can say to themselves, listen, God's in control here. God can change the situation. God can change people. I just need to learn how to trust God. And, and, I, and I think as we listen to this, why we behave certain ways is because it's a revelation of what we're really putting our trust. And a lot of times we're putting our trust in ourselves or we're putting our trust in others rather than really trusting God to do a work in, in our lives and in the lives of others. Um, I think we can say safely that today families, uh, well mature person is confident God isn't controlled and that God will have his way. You can rest in that. You see, it has a lot to do with your perception of who God is. You know, families today are disintegrating. There's not there's no one's going to argue this point. And we see it all around us. And so the question is why are we seeing, you know, this intensification of broken relationships? And I think one of the primary reasons is that we're not living a life controlled by God the Holy Spirit we're doing our thing. And uh, a lot of times, ta- you know, like last week, if you were here, I talked about how often we think that we're actually obeying, you know, we're actually, doing, we're actually being a Christian, we're doing the right thing. And I said, most of us are living a life driven by our emotions. And I started to show you how often our emotions are, you know, superseding what God's Word is saying. And I think most of us that were here last week could say that was true. And really, I brought that out and people could identify with that because it is the truth. Now we're going to see here today how important this amazing truth is that will bring about a change in how we relate to people. So in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to take a brief overview of it, we're going to find, you know, a life that literally brings health in relationships, marriages, families, work contexts, so you don't have to just be married to receive something today, but I think it's going to help marriages. I think it's going to help families. I believe this is going to help your relationships with uh, people in your work context and another context. So let's take a look here. We're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And I'm going to do some paraphrasing to the Scripture. So here, let's just read the first verse. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So really, it's telling us that there are some people... That what they're doing is living an intoxicated life, but it's intoxicated by other substances. And a lot of times what this culture is doing today, and I'll speak it in a general way, is that we're self-medicating. This is a self-medicating culture. We're in pain, we're hurting, and we're self-medicating. And we're self-medicating to such a degree that we eventually we become addicted on these substances, and it creates havoc within our souls, and it creates havoc in our relationships. And I don't think anybody can dispute that. That's reality. It says it leads to debauchery. It leads to brokenness. It leads to excesses. It leads to emptiness. But then he says, rather than do that, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So to live a, a, a life of submission means that I have to be a person under the submission of God. So step number one, that you and I need to be under God's control. You and I need to be submitted to Him. You and I need to open our lives and let God's Spirit truly be in charge of us. I would argue today that the best way to have a healthy home is to put God first in your life. Not your family, not your spouse, not your workplace, no, God. You see, when God's in control, then we have the right priorities. And then the right priorities is, it's not about me, it's not about what I'm trying to get, it's about doing what God wants me to do. And it ends up enhancing my, my relationship with my wife or my husband. It enhances my relationship with my children. And they, in turn, are affected by that. And it creates a whole different atmosphere in my home. It creates an atmosphere at work. If I'm a leader at work, I'm helping set an atmosphere there, especially if I'm the leader. But even as a, a person that's just being employed by somebody, if you have the right attitude and the right spirit, you're creating an atmosphere. And every one of us is bringing an atmosphere wherever we're going as we're relating to people. And you can draw people to, actually, you know, youth, you know people think it's, you have this charisma, this, this magnetism, this attractiveness, but it's actually a life submitted to the Holy Spirit. There's a beauty in it, and it draws people like a magnet, and people who are wounded and hurt find solace and comfort from your life because you're a person living in submission to God. Now, it's interesting... One of the things that I think we've misunderstood growing up is we think we've grown up in a Christian home because our parents were Christian. And I'm going to say that doesn't necessarily make a Christian home. That's a very shocking statement. And I wrote it this way. We don't have a Christian marriage and home because we're Christians, but because we're submitted to God and each other. There's a big difference. I've seen too many people say, I grew up in a Christian home, but when I listen to them, I go, No, you grew up in a home that the mother or father said they were Christians, but neither of them were submitted to one another. They weren't submitted to God, and they weren't. And you could see the damage that it created in people's hearts and minds, and it turned a lot of people off from God. That's the problem. Listen, when you and I live in submission to God and we live in submission to each other, it's going to have a tremendous impact on how that family is going to function. And so, You know, I'm I'm introducing these thoughts because um, maybe you're not buying in. You're saying, Pastor, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know what this means, this submission to one another. I don't know what it means to be submitted to God. So I'm going to look at three things that we need to understand and apply in our life in order to develop this healthy family. Or you could change it and say develop a healthy relationship. And the first one is what does the Bible mean? What do the scriptures mean when we use the word submission? Because sometimes that's a little confusing in our minds. Submission means yielding to another person. But it's a willingness to yield, you know, and we'll talk a bit about that. This is not someone who's being forced to do it because when you're being forced to submit, that's creating resentment and anger in your heart towards the other individual. That's not a healthy situation. Now, I love the distinction that Warren Worsby brings up between the word subjugation and submission. And he says it this way, subjugation turns a person into a thing. It destroys individuality and removes all liberty or freedom. Submission makes a person become more of what God wants him or her to be. It brings out individuality. It accomplishes the freedom to accomplish all that God has for their life and their ministry. Submission is strength. It is the first step towards true maturity and ministry. I think that's very important. That last line is so strong. But you know what? When you and I are living an unsubmitted life to God, we are not a mature person, you know, which is sad because it's going to create havoc in our life and we don't even realize it, you know. So, Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, what's the fruit of it? I mean, why would I even bother with this? Why would I even try to live this spirit-controlled, submitted life to God and to other people? Well, listen, to, you know what it brings? It brings joy. How many here are saying, I'd like to have a joy-filled life? I would love to be happy. I would love to be in an atmosphere where there's thanksgiving and gratitude, and there's actually, you know, when, when you hear people whistling and singing, what do you think? They're happy. They're expressing happiness. Look what verse 19 says. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that this expression comes as a result of this mutual submission. Verse 21. Here's the key text, I believe, in this chapter. Verse 21. It says there, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So husbands and wives and parents and children and masters, and here in uh, masters or employers, depending what translation, and servants have an equal dignity as godlike beings, but many times they have different roles. And so J.H. Yoder writes, equality of worth is not identity of role. The husband, the parent, and in this case, the employer, the master, Have been invested with an authority to which others should submit. So, in other words, God has created an order. There's a leadership order. And uh, John Stott says two questions immediately arise about this authority where does it come from and how is it to be used? And the first answer is God's the one that creates the authority because he's the ultimate authority and he's created this ordering in life. And so, submission is a humble recognition of the divine ordering of society. But authority, then, must be seen as a responsibility, an opportunity to serve others. It must be used solely in this way. So God gives people a responsibility, a leadership role, a responsibility, not to that they benefit personally. You see, let me put it to you this way. If I'm a husband, God allows my wife to come into my life, and my my job is to minister to her for her benefit. I've been given this role to benefit her, I'm in a position of authority as a pastor. I can abuse that authority or I can use it in the way God designed it to be. So what's really my role? My role is to serve God by serving you for your best interest. You see, it's not for my best interest. So whenever leaders serve people for what they can get out of it, they're abusing their place of authority. What we need to be doing as leaders is serving others for their betterment. Now, sometimes the people don't even know what's best for them. How many know that's true? And how many know as parents, you're trying to serve your children for what's best for them, but sometimes they may argue that point. They may disagree with you. They may not think that what you're doing to them is in their best interest, like putting them to bed earlier than they want to go but that's in their best interest. How many know what I'm talking about? You see what I'm getting at? So a lot of times, you know, people might be serving us for our best interest. We might be disagreeing with, but it is actually for our best interest. But at the time, we may be too underdeveloped to really value and appreciate what they're doing. That can happen. Let me move on to the second point. What does the scripture explain is the motivation for submission? You know, first of all, what do we mean by it? I think we're getting that understanding, but what should be the motivation? Why should I willingly submit? Why should I humble myself? Why should you know, I submit to another person? How many recognize that in every relationship emotions ebb and flow? Isn't that true? I mean, sometimes you know you can be just going, man, I'm so appreciative of you, and then three days later, so I can't stand the sight of you. You know what I mean? We can have these emotions ebbing and flowing in our relationships, And that happens in marriages, it happens in families, it happens among siblings, sometimes co-workers get on each other's nerves. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Are we all following and tracking? Okay. All right. So, there are times when we agree with the person and it's easy to submit. We go, yeah, that's no problem. But what happens when we don't agree? That's when it gets difficult. Isn't that true? And it's impossible to get everybody to agree at all times and in all things and in all ways. That's where the difficulties and challenges come in. So the first reason that we are to submit is clearly stated out of reverence for Christ, and that's what Ephesians five twenty one says here: submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, what does that mean? That means that I am doing this because of who Jesus is. I am I am submitting because I'm doing it as unto the Lord. I'm submitting for this reason. And reason why we need to do that is because, notice I didn't say out of love or respect for each other. You know, it's always easier to submit to a person that we love. It's always easier to submit to a person we respect. How many say that's true? But sometimes we won't feel that way towards that person. Even if our society thought that mutual submission or willful surrendering of our lives for each other was a wonderful idea, Their motivation for doing so ends with their own human capacity to love and respect each other. And what I'm saying is you and I as believers have an amazing advantage because we have Christ in us and we're doing it as unto the Lord. And sometimes people will not value and appreciate what we're doing. And that's especially true when you're a leader. Now I want you to think to an amazing story in the Old Testament. I love this book. It's the book of Nehemiah. Great leadership principles. Nehemiah is actually the memoirs of a leader. And in the end, you know, You know, he's he's got problems outside, he's got problems within, he's got people criticizing him. By the way, anytime you're a leader, you're going to have people disagree with you. Okay, that's why people don't want to be leaders anymore. They don't want the criticism, and so sometimes the best people don't always lead. They just don't want to lay down their lives for the sake of another person. It's actually selfish. We don't think of it that way, but it's true. And so here, Nehemiah, what does he write in his memoirs? And you read at the end of the chapter, he goes, Lord, remember me. In other words, I'm doing this ultimately for you. And whenever I keep that in my mind, it's easier to be able to pour out my life and give up myself and do what's best for someone who's actually not happy with me at this moment and is criticizing me for doing it. Because if I'm doing it for them, I'm gonna get discouraged and pack it in. Right? But the only way you can keep doing it is because I'm really ultimately doing it for Christ. And so I'm being faithful to him, and I know that he's watching. He sees my motivation. He sees my heart. And I know that he's the one ultimately that's going to show favor and blessing in my life because I'm doing it for the ultimate person. And so therefore, I can do it even though people may, you know, if, if your kids st- said to you, you no, you're the worst parent in the world, you're just going fine and dandy. I'm glad you feel that way today, but tomorrow you'll change your mind, you know. When you grow up a little bit, you'll figure it out. I'm actually a good parent, even though you think I'm a bad parent. Well, everybody else's parent lets them do this stuff. I'm going, That's, they're just trying to be their friends. I'm your parent. That's not what's good for you. You're going to do this, you know. Or when, when, when my girls would say to me, you know, everybody else is doing it. I said, no, not everybody. You're not. <laughs> you know. however the problems arise when there is no greater motivation or resource than ourselves isn't that true here we find a higher call and a greater resource often the issue why we don't obey and submit is that we don't really trust Christ that's really the crux of the issue by the way it's all about trust. The reason why in this room we struggle with totally surrendering to God is because we really don't trust him. And the reason why we really don't trust him is we really don't know him. And the more I get to know Jesus, the more I trust him and the more I trust him, the more I can relax and I don't have to control everything. You don't have to be a control freak when you really trust God. You go, listen, I've never been in control, that was a myth in my own mind, and I, I can relax now and let him run the universe. It's really great. <laughs> you know, isn't that fun, wow, takes a lot of pressure off, isn't that great, Um, and usually this business of where I'm trusting doesn't come to light until there's pressure in my life, and then I find out what I'm really trusting in, I think that's one reason why God allows pressures, trials, and difficulties in our lives is to help us discover where we're putting our trust, are you putting it in yourself, you know, are you putting it in a leader, are you putting it in your spouse, you follow what I'm getting at, we're putting our trust somewhere, folks. And everybody, humanly speaking, is gonna fail us and let us down. And sometimes we think God has failed us and let us down just because we can't comprehend what he's doing right now. You know, God says, my ways are above your ways and my thoughts are above your thoughts. You know, when I was younger, I'd pray and say, God, this is what you ought to do. And I would be telling God how to do things. And guess what, he didn't always listen. You know? (laughs) How many relate to me? You've been telling God what to do for a long time now, but he doesn't always do what you want him to do because you know what? Maybe he's got a better idea than you have. Never thought of it that way. And sometimes over time, I would be looking at a God-answered prayer, and I'd say to myself, my goodness, I'd have never thought of that way of answering that prayer. As a matter of fact, I know God's doing it because I wouldn't have thought of this. And matter of fact, God, I have to be quite impressed. This is actually far better than what I had in mind. You know, I'm just letting you know. I'm pretty impressed with you. You're doing this a lot differently, but it's a lot better than what I had in mind. And sometimes I I discover to my, you know, my own, you know, I'm just kind of going, wow, this is amazing. I would have never made me do this difficult course, but in the end, I like the benefits. Anybody else have that experience? How many have ever, I've gone to university a lot, so I can say this. You know, these schools actually make you do courses that you probably would never take in your right mind. But they're part of the requirements. You know, I always want to take the, you know, the elective courses, we always want to choose which course we're gonna take, but we always choose the ones that we think it's easy to pass or we have an interest in them. We never want to take the courses that are really difficult. How many can relate to what I'm talking about? And then afterwards, you take this really difficult course, they make you read these books, you go, why am I reading this book? And then you discover, you know what, I actually, this is actually fascinating. Yeah, I'm actually learning something. Hello, that's why they're making you do this. And sometimes God's running you through the paces and you're kind of wondering, why is he letting this happen in my life? And I'm saying, hey, God knows what's best for each one of us and he's detailed the plan. So one of his ideas here is that you and I would learn this idea about submission. You know, I think a lot of times we find out that we've really only been trusting in ourselves and that's the problem. Rather than God. Another reason we should submit is because it's God's way of building meaningful community and healthy relationships. You know, a lot of us are isolationists in this room. We're doing our own thing, and when we get things get tough, we just you know knock off the relationship, turn our back on, it, and go in another direction. And we do, and a lot of times I hear people say, "Well, why do I need church? I can seek God and on my own." I'm going, "Yeah, but you can't build community on your own. Good luck. Try that. You know, who are you going to talk to yourself? You know." See, God has a plan, folks, and it's always better than ours. Let me move on to the final one, the pr- practical method or application of submission. Because, you know, right now we've been looking at the principle of it. But how does this really work? You know, you know right now you could totally agree with me. I, I agree with you in principle, Pastor. But wait till we get to the application. This is when it gets a little more challenging, you know. Let's take a look. Verse 21 says, Submit. To one another, out of reverence for Christ. Very next verse: Wives, submit to your husband. I told the wives twice to submit. <laughs> you know, wives to submit to her husband as to the Lord. Now I'm glad a lady wrote the next quote, not me, because I think it lends more weight. Right, Jill Briscoe. She says this. So why did Paul tell wives to submit to their husbands when they were already in submission? The clue is in the grammar. The verb "submit" is in the middle voice. literally means "place yourself in submission." In a sense, it means to sit down on the inside as well as on the outside. How many here can honestly admit that a lot of times you're conforming to God's word externally, but internally, your mind is doing other things. Anybody else willing to admit that? Boy. You guys are, I don't know how you guys do it. I, 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 that becomes a problem. You can be doing the right thing on the outside, but on the inside, your thoughts are somewhere else. God be saying, you, I want you to forgive this person. Okay, I'll do it. But on the inside, you're going, I really don't want to forgive this person. They're a turkey. You know what I mean? Do <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? You see, you see what I'm trying to say? So on the outside, you may be doing the right thing, but on the inside, there's a battle going on. That's what I'm talking about. You see, and what she's, you know. Let me, let me give you the idea this way. Patty, my wife, was teaching years ago a grade one class, and she, this little girl, was rambunctious. She kept jumping up and jumping. Fine, she said, "Would you please sit down?" So the little girl sits down, and then under her breath, she says this to Patty. She says, "I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside." You know. <laughs> You see, what she's saying is, I may be conforming outwardly, but inwardly I'm in a state of rebellion. And a lot of times as Christians, that's what we're doing. We may look like we're doing the right thing, but inside, you know, we're not really complying. See, because submission is more than just outward conformity. It's an inward heart attitude. And so this is what he's talking about here. Paul was after a heart attitude, a spirit of humility by choice and not pressure, or coercion. Uh, Paul is pro-choice where women are concerned, the choice for women to lay down their lives for their brothers, sisters, husbands, and children because they have laid it down for Christ. In other words, they're giving up, they're, they're, they're basically submitting themselves to what the Word of God is teaching them. It says here the wife should, uh, the wife should submit in everything. Now, what's that mean? And here's where a lot of abuses come in the church. John Stott says we have to be very careful not to overstate this teaching on authority. It does not mean that the authority of husbands is unlimited or that wives are required to give unconditional obedience. No, the submission required is to God's authority delegated to a human person. If therefore they misuse their God-given authority by commanding what God forbids or forbidding what God's command, then it's our duty to no longer conscientiously to submit but conscientiously to refuse to do so. That's powerful. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, if somebody's asking you to do the wrong thing, you say, I'm sorry, I can't. There's a higher authority, and you just, you just bumped yourself out of God's delegated authority. You're misusing your authority, and that's exactly what happened when the Sanhedrin told Peter and John, I don't want you to speak anymore in this name of Jesus. And you know what they said to them? They said, hey, listen, Jesus is God. God has given the Sanhedrin authority, but for you guys telling us to disobey God's command, you've negated your authority. Therefore, we ought to obey God rather than men. You see what's going on? So there was a civil disobedience to that authority, and it's the same way in relationships. You know, if, if a parent asks their child to do something that's sinful or evil or wrong, hey, I want you to go steal that magazine for me, the child could stand up and say, I'm sorry, I can't do that thing, it's wrong. And the child would be in the right. The parent is in the wrong. We all know that, we get that, it makes sense to us. Submission is also evidenced by your attitude toward her husband. You know, it's so interesting to me. You know, this is, here's the key that when you know a wife is in submission to her husband, she shows him respect. That is so powerful. It says, wives so respect your husband. You know, you say, yeah, but pastor, you don't know my husband. He's an idiot, you know. <laughs> He's a jerk. How can I show this guy respect? I say to you, ladies, follow track, you know, stay with me here. Don't write me off. You want him to be a person you can respect? Treat him with respect. Treat him as if he's doing the right thing. Keep focusing on the right things he's doing and saying, you know, honey, I really appreciate that you do this. And then name the thing that you do respect. And you know, it's really funny how guys are, you know, guys are, you know, macho. But if the wife says to me, to you, you know, man, you're an idiot. It doesn't go good for the guy. He he's, he, he actually is looking at his life through the lens of his wife. And if she respects him, he rises up and he tries to be a better man. But if she keeps looking down on him, it cowers the guy and he's whipped like a puppy dog. He just can't get his act together. So I say, women, you got a lot of power in your hands. Just start respecting the person. He'll step up and he'll move to a higher level. And we'll talk in a minute here. So how does this apply to a husband? How does submission apply to a husband? Because nowhere do I read in the text, you go, Pastor, it doesn't say anywhere a husband's supposed to submit to his wife. Yes, it does. Go back to verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So how does the husband submit to his wife? I'm glad you asked that question. It's found in verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That's how you do it. You love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He loves the church to the point where he laid down his life for the church. In other words, when I look at Jesus, what I see is unconditional love. How many see that? unconditional love. So here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives unconditionally. Yeah, but pastor, she's hard sometimes, you know, to love. She's doing some really crazy things. She's driving me nuts. You know, to love her unconditionally, she's spending more than she should. I could just go down and name a bunch of things she could be doing. She's nagging. She's criticizing. I can't do anything right, you know. And the Bible says love her. Well, yeah, I'll love her when she straightens up. No, that's conditional love. That's not unconditional love. You've got to love her like Christ loves the church. So when you start loving your wife unconditionally, no matter what she's doing, you're just saying, listen, dear, you are the most amazing person. I've chosen you above everybody else. When a woman feels deeply loved, something happens inside of her. She changes. See, I don't think we get how to really have healthy relationships. This is what it, we're talking about. This is really a Christian home where the husband is now loving his wife. Unconditionally, Amen. He's giving himself up to her, for her. That means, guys, that means laying down your hobbies, laying down all your desires, and saying, honey, what do you want to do? And you know, I, when I was a newly married husband, I've been married over 40 years now, you know, Patty would come up with these really crazy ideas. Like, see, I, 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 you know, after working a lot, I just want to go home and rest. Patty goes, I want to relate to people. I've been around people all day long. Why do I want to go do that? You know, <laughs> You know, she said, can we go out and do this? And I go, okay. She goes, yeah, I can really see you're excited about that. (laughs) You know, so I had to fake it. See, you have to, when you really love your wife, you go, okay, hey, honey, you want to do that? Let's go do it. It's not just, I'm going to do the thing because you want me to do it. My wife is so sensitive, she can pick up when I don't want to do it. She goes, forget it. You know, anybody else relating to what I'm saying? Okay, (laughs) forget it. I said, so then I had to go, okay, I have to do this because she really wants to do this, so I went, hey! When she said that, I go, great idea, let's go do it. Deep down inside, I'm going, I hate this idea. (laughs) But we're gonna do it! Because she wants to do it, and you know what I discovered? As we started to do it, I went, hey, I'm having fun doing it. See, it's really funny, when you do the right thing, you change. See, that's the part we don't get. Because when you die to yourself and you start doing the right thing, pretty soon the things you didn't think you'd like, you start enjoying. It's really funny how God changes us. That's how you love your wife unconditionally. I'm giving you guys good ideas here, guys. You should be taking notes. (laughs) How does this submission appear in the life of your children? Oh, I gotta say this one. Kenneth Blanchard, he wrote One Minute Manager. You know, most guys, we have a problem with ego. All the wife said? Guys have a hard time admitting they're wrong. All the wife said? Boy. you're just being respectful, I know. <laughs> but Kenneth Blanchard basically said, you know what ego is? It's nothing, he has an acronym. E-G-O, Ego, Edging God Out. So if you want God in, ego has to go down, Okay. How many go? I got to kill my ego, anyways. That's just getting in the way. There you go. Kenneth Blanchard, he's helping you there. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, okay, how does this submission appear in the lives of children? How did children submit to their parents? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, where did Paul come up with this idea? What's he doing? He's quoting the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Isn't this the fourth command? Go back to Exodus chapter 20. The fourth command is honor your father and your mother. Deuteronomy chapter 5 says the same thing. But you know what it says differently there? It says it this way in the Old Testament. So that that you may enjoy life on the land which God is giving you. He doesn't say the earth. It says the land. See, earth and land are the same words. Now why, why are they doing it this way? Well, because... I want you to, sometimes when we read this, we, I think we miss something. If you were a Hebrew person reading this, you're thinking this text in Exodus and Deuteronomy, you know what you'd be saying to yourself? Let me give it to you. You're in a covenant relationship with God. What does God say to the Israelites? If you do all of these stipulations, I will bless you. I will do all of these things, include give you the land. What happens when you disobey God, if you're a Hebrew person? God says, be careful, I'll take you out of the land. Remember that? And what happened was they disobeyed God for hundreds of years, and what did God do? He took the northern tribes and took them out of the land. He exiled them to Assyria. Then he took them out of the southern tribes, and he exiled them to Babylon. Why was it that they wrote a psalm like Psalm 137 says, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand be cut off. In other words, what's this tie-in to the land? We think these guys are enamored with a piece of geography, but I don't think that's what it's about. It's an understanding of theology because in, in the Hebrew mind, the land represents where God lived. You have to remember that the city of Jerusalem is called what? The holy city. Why is it the holy city? Because the temple is there. Why is the temple holy? Because God dwells there. And to be removed from the land means you're being removed from the presence of God. And so that's why this text is such a powerful thing. It may go well with you in the land. It may, in other words, it may go well with you because you have favor and God's blessing in your life. And when you and I disregard this, God's favor and blessing comes off our life very powerful. I think there's covenant implications here. So what does it mean to obey? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, obey means not only to listen to, but to listen as realizing that you are under authority. It means to listen under. You are looking up for a commandment, and you are looking up to your parents to put these things into practice. Now, how many know that we live in a society today that we've totally, uh, how would I say, almost deep? deified in some ways. We've, we've elevated youth to a level that's unbelievable. You know, everything's about the youth today. They're the hope of the world, the youth, you know. It's almost like we're supposed to go to young people to ask for wisdom today. That's almost where our culture's at. How many know that's true? You ever heard of a lady by the name of Jane Austen? Anybody heard of her? You know who Jane Austen is? All the ladies probably do know who she is. She wrote a, she wrote a bunch of books, and we've made them into movies. One of them is Pride and Prejudice. Oh, now it's clicking. Okay. How many many now know know who Jane Austen is? Okay. You know why people like her writings, even though it's from a long time ago? This is the reason. Because she had the ability to create witty critiques of her society and changing values and traditional biases and individual follies and self-deception. In other words, she was able to make her heroine realize her own foolishness, pride, and critical comments. And you know what? We can all still relate to that. And this is what she she also did. Youthful idealism, pride, and criticalness of others is only tempered by what? Time, age, and personal failures. In other words, we are growing up when we realize how weak and easily self deceived we have been about ourselves and others. It is a wise young person who learns to listen to the wisdom of older, more godly, and experienced people, particularly parents. Is that powerful? Sure it is. How many here could say, you know what, I was once young and now I'm a little older? Anybody could say that? (laughs) We could all say that, right? How many here could honestly say, you know what, knowing what I know today, there was probably a lot of things I wouldn't do back then. Anybody can say that? Anybody want to admit that? There was a bunch of you. You know, I tell all the young people, you should look at these hands that are going up right now. All the young people are gone. They should have heard this part. This is important, right? Don't do the stupid things we did. You know, what are we trying to teach your kids? Don't do the dumb things I did. That's it. Come on now. I want to save you a lot of heartache. This is how I learned it, the hard way. You want to avoid that. So how does submission appear in the lives of parents? Oh, this is interesting. Remember, we have to submit to one another. So how does that work out, Pastor? It works out like this. Fathers, parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Folks, I'm going to just say this. If we don't do that, our children will be the losers. They're the losers. We've lost a generation. Did we bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord? Yeah, I know they can make their own decisions. I know children can go wayward. But if we did the right things, we could trust that God's going to do the most powerful things in, our, in their lives. We cannot expect our children to become something they had not seen modeled or encouraged by the way we lived. You know, you can tell your kids anything you want to, but what they're doing is looking at how you lived. What was the number one value in your life? If they could see that God was really number one in you, and they could see that you submitted to your spouse, and they could see that you were in submission to God, to your spouse, and even to your children by training them and encouraging them, and instructing them, and you are modeling it, very powerful. Let me close with these two amazing things. You know, God's word is off, we we know God's word is his will. And we wrestle with God's will. And where do we wrestle with it? Whenever we struggle with our will in conflict with his. And Richard Foster says it this way, to applaud the will of God, to do the will of God, even to fight for the will of God is not difficult until it comes at cross purposes with our will. And then the lines are drawn. Isn't that the truth? So God's challenging us. Let me close with this one. Ann Atkins in her book, she says this, before we can hope to be good husbands or wives, we must learn to be good Christians. We must all become self-sacrificial and submissive because that's what it means to yield to God. And when you and I yield to God, it changes our relationships. Let's stand. So we breathed through a lot of material this morning. More than you realize. But here's my prayer. Some of us in this room are going, I don't have healthy relationships. Or maybe in this room you're going, I see my problem. It comes down to submission. I would even argue it's deeper than that. It comes down to trust. If I really trust God, I'll submit to him. If I really trust God, I'll do what he says. I'll do his word. Yeah, but I don't feel like doing it. I'm going, who cares? Are you gonna let your life be governed by your feelings? That's this generation, totally feeling driven, making all kinds of miserable decisions. But we can say, okay, God, this is what your word says, I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna make this guarantee, and I can say this, I've been around for a few years, that when you look back and you go, God, I'm so thankful that I did what you told me to do, even at times I didn't feel like it. Because when I look back now, the feelings caught up with it. I feel good about doing the right thing. I look at the life that's been built, and there's not a lot of regret back there. Very limited regret. Just do the right thing. You won't live with regret, and it'll bring... God's favor and his blessing into your life. You'll have joy. You'll have, you know, you got to ask yourself, what am I living for? Make a lot of money to be famous? Wrong goals. Those things come, that's a byproduct. Who goes for that stuff? At the end of the day, to have meaningful, healthy relationships, well, that's powerful. You know, we just took a family photo here Friday night, and I was just... Looking at the one picture and I just went, I'm the richest guy on the planet. That's how I feel. I'm the richest guy on the planet. I got an amazing family. I'm so blessed. I just look at them, I go, I'm so blessed by them. You know? And I see lives in submission to God. You know, and I told the guys this morning, Donovan, you were there. I said, I'm so blessed I get to pastor you people. One of the best churches in our country great church, love it what a privilege, that's how I feel I am so rich see it's an attitude how many are getting it, when we submit to God how many right now with heads bowed just say you know what pastor this is really putting a finger on something in my soul submission I need to submit to God I need to do what God's telling me to do regardless of how I feel about it, I'm just going to do it I'm gonna trust God. I think he's smarter than me. I think he's wiser than me. I think he's got my best interest. Doesn't God have your best interest? Of course, he loves you with an everlasting love. He's got your best interest. God's plan for you, I'm gonna tell you right now, is greater than yours. I'm gonna go, that's amazing. Sure it is. He designed you. He created you. He's got things for you to do. All you gotta do is say, okay God, I'll just surrender right now. I can't undo what I did in the past, but from this day forward, I submit. I'm gonna trust you with everything I am, and we're gonna just go on a journey together, and we're gonna just see an amazing thing happen in our marriages, in our relationships, at work. All of those things are gonna be transformed because I'm submitting and putting my trust in you. That's you today, just raise your hand. That's you. All across the auditorium, people are raising your hands. That's good, we're submitting. I got my hand up. I want to remain in submission, you know, because you can rebel, right? I've been around Christians for a long time. People are submitting, all of a sudden they start rebelling, going, what's going on here? You got to choose every day, Lord, I submit. Think about what Jesus taught you in the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, what? thy will be done not my will be done thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven thy will be done in me I submit I yield I'm going to do it your way I'm going to learn who you are I'm going to learn how to go about doing it I'm going to do it and I am going to be enriched because I know your favor is going to be on my life God's favor will be on you you cannot honor God with God not honoring you He'll do it. He'll honor you. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for each one that's submitting right now. They're yielding in their hearts, saying, yep, I want your will be done. I'm going to submit to your work of grace in my heart. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to start loving my wife unconditionally. I'm going to start respecting my husband unconditionally. As children, maybe young people, I'm going to honor my parents. I'm going to show them respect. That doesn't mean I'm going to agree with them all the time, especially if they're older. They may have wrong values. I'm going to honor them by loving them. I may not do what they want me to do, but I'm going to love them. And I'm going to speak well of them. Lord, we make choices. Help us to make the right choices. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.